I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now I've done some scary stuff in my life. I've been to war zones and shot at. I've come under mortar attack. I've even interviewed Donald Trump. But nothing prepared me for the most terrifying assignment of all. Could I learn stand-up comedy? and make a room full of people laugh. I'm journalist Simon Houston, and this is my journey. And over these eight episodes, I'll be picking the brains of the best in the business as I aim to crack the laughter game. And could I possibly achieve the ultimate goal? Taken to the stage at the world's biggest comedy festival? This is Laughter Unlocked. This podcast from the Scottish Sun is brought to you in association with Harry Corey Interiors for all your home furnishing needs. Visit harrycorry.com or pop into one of our many stores nationwide. On this episode, I'm joined by comedians Stephen Buchanan and Darren Connell. Clyde Banks' Stephen Buchanan won the Scottish Comedian of the Year Award in 2018 and also became the first ever Scottish comedian to win the coveted BBC New Comedy Award. He's performed in the Jonathan Ross Comedy Club on ITV and last year he recorded his debut BBC Radio 4 stand-up show entitled Talking Shaw. He's also established himself as a promising writer with credits from, among other things, Only an Excuse, Scott Squad and Breaking the News. You can follow him on Twitter at Stephen Comedy. Springburn's Darren Connell was a much-loved performer in the Scottish stand-up circuit. Beginning as a teenager back in 2006, he's gone on to perform all over the UK and made his debut solo appearance at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2016, but he's probably best known for playing Bobby in the BBC series Scott Squad, which earned him a Best Actor nomination at the 2015 British Academy Scotland New Talent Awards. You can follow him on Twitter, DarrenConnell87. Darren and Stephen, good to have you here with me. How are you? You alright? Hi, good. I'm good. How are you, Darren? Yes, I'm I'm happy to be here. I listened to the Ray Bradshaw one and I enjoyed it. So I'm really nervous, actually. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because I've had four coffees or (laughs) it's genuine nerves. I don't have to. You're not as nervous as me, trust me, honestly. (laughs) I'm fine. I'm not nervous at all. Oh, wait till you find out what will get lined up for you. (laughs) Proper dead behind the eyes. I've done this too much. (laughs) I'm glad to have you guys on together because I know you you know each other quite well. And actually, uh, Darren, you said that Stephen was was somebody you really looked up to in comedy. I don't know. I don't know about looked up. Not physically. (laughs) We'll come on to that in a wee minute as well. No, but he's uh, he's one of the good guys in a in a industry that's probably quite selfish. Not even in a bad way, just, you know, it's it's quite a lonely industry. Everybody's self-employed, everybody's kind of out for themselves. When I bump into Stephen at gigs, it's always nice to see him and it's good to see him do so well as well. I think I said once, um, he's funny and he's a good person, which is a rare, a rare <laughs> no. quality in the Thank stand-up you. circuit. I Thanks, don't mean mate. to uh, slag the stand-up circuit there, but... That's lovely. I'm filling up. Uh, thanks very feet. much. I appreciate that. And I feel the same about you, Darren. Mate. Thank you. I actually brought you here to tell you that I love you. <laughs> <laughs> so glad that you've finally said it. <laughs> it, it makes it really awkward because I've not seen him in like four years either. So it's just weird. Like, 
<laughs> but you've, you've, you've expressed your love for him via text and all that, I would imagine, too. Yeah, yeah. Usually slide into my DMs <laughs> on Twitter and stuff. And <laughs> at about three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Aye. Shut up, you. <laughs> I, I kind of, I know a wee bit of what you meant when you said that, though, because that. I haven't done an awful lot of comedy. I've maybe done, what, 15 gigs? But I've been in green rooms 15 times. Well, not even green rooms, because a lot of them are like in pubs in front of six people. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and I, I don't know whether I've, I've mistook the, you know, the, the, the idea that people aren't friendly. Uh, maybe it's just maybe it's just they're wrapped up in their own thoughts because they're about to go on stage and they don't really want to talk to somebody at that point. You know, cause I'm, so I kind of worry. I think, oh, they hate me, <laughs> you know, because yeah. they're, they're not blethering. You know, what about you, Stephen? Do you find in the, in the sort of 15, 20 minutes before going on stage, are you in your own bubble? Yeah, definitely. And I, I don't think, but Darren, I don't think you meant that just before you go on stage, people, like, in general, like, just the scene can be quite toxic at times. Uh, on the, f- the the forum online is particularly bad for it. Um, I, I, I'm just putting words into your mouth. I don't know if that's what you meant. Or... No, I, I agree with you. It's just... Uh... You do it for so long, you can handle it better, and you 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 know what it's like now. But when I was in your position of fifteen gigs, uh, I I can understand what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Especially when you're starting out, I felt like as an open spot, I was very. It was felt like speaking less, speaking less spoken to. Type it. No, is that the phrase? I don't. Don't speak <laughs> if you have not been spoken to. Type uh-huh. of thing. Like just sit there, be. Be good, a good wee boy, until like if if there's like a headliner on, you don't want to yeah. kind of overstep the mark and be dead enthusiastic and stuff like that. Yeah. What what one of my earliest gigs was um, at the Rotunda, and the guy who runs Rotunda said to me, "Be funny and don't be a dick." <laughs> that, that was uh, that was my kind of pep talk before it. Believe it or not, I actually got an alright with the guy because. Um, he, he he kind of you know he gave me a he gave me a ten minutes on a Saturday night after about two mm. two gigs and and funnily enough um I, I knew absolutely nothing about the protocol I didn't know the rules of engagement I was and and and, and I ran over and did and I did twelve and he wasn't there that right. night they texted me in the morning and they said how did last night go and I said um that was really good uh good feedback I we I think I got a wee bit of a row off the you know the tech guy. For running over and then the response came in full caps how long and i said uh, <laughs> 12 minutes do not overrun on a saturday night ever full caps and, and i was like you know yeah. i didn't i didn't i didn't know but again yeah. i didn't really, really know the rules of engagement but i didn't also didn't really get chatting to the people before the other comedians before it either you know it's just like i felt yeah. like a total outsider uh in the weekend of groups in the weekend of cliques and i'm like I'm just going to sit here in the corner and not ask any questions. Red Raw, I, you've, I don't know if you've had similar experiences, Darren, but my first couple of Red Raws, they were very strict of you cannot r- overrun f- from five minutes. And there was a particular tech at the time. He like got off on music and people off if yeah. they overran. He loved it. Like mm-hmm. He loved seeing open spots crumble. <laughs> and I was just, I'd maybe done about five minutes, 10 seconds maximum, about to do my very last punchline. And he just put the music on mm-hmm. right yeah. before that. And it was crushing, soul destroying. Have you been music off? I've only been musicked off once and it was from a kinder sound technician called Stephen, the guy with the skinhead. Uh, um, yeah. I took a date there and 
he he waited until I'd done the punchline. Oh, did he? And then I got the laugh, and then he music me off. And then when I came off stage, he's like, I had to music you off, mate. How long did you do? I think I'd done six minutes. Right, but that's... it's because I understand why Red Raw would music you off, because there's 15 acts on the bill, so yeah. Yeah. I completely get that. But yeah. see, Simon, see, when you're doing it, and it's like, you must do 10 minutes, maybe I'm just built different, because if I was to give Stephen a gig or you a gig, I would rather that you'd done eight minutes and you were funny than mm-hmm. 13 minutes and it wasn't that good yeah at the time you can, you can, really say, you can say shite on laughter unlocked instantly aye, aye. <laughs> was i fighting a swear word there normally i swear away mate <laughs> uh, but i maybe i think uh, that guy was just being probably a wee bit harsh on you no but i mean to be honest it was fine it was, it was absolutely fine but the the, the terrifying thing is red rock because i was music off once and right. i thought i was doing fine and uh and if what had happened was some, I, I think, I'm pretty sure it was Larry Dean had was on first and overran a wee bit and he was doing new material or something. And and anyway, again, because I'm sitting in the corner, not speaking to anybody, um, word had filtered through, right, it's running a wee bit late, so keep it tight, keep it tight. And, yeah. I, and, and, and I was literally just about to, I was in my last sentence in the music one and I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. But, but the torch thing, I don't, almost think, always think works either because it's so, there's bright lights coming at you yeah. and it's quite difficult to see it well when you first start out it's particularly difficult to see it because you're so focused on doing your wee jokes that you've prepared and are the people laughing are they enjoying it How am I doing something weird with my hands you're just completely in your head so you're not seeing an extra wee torch at the end after you've done it a few times it's quite easy to spot and you know where to look and stuff some people may get a bit more leeway too I remember watching one guy who had clearly overrun and the guy with the torch was literally down at the bottom of the stage, flashing it in his face <laughs> like that, you know. But Usually the, you wouldn't get that. Aye. Um, yeah. So I kind of, I, I, that was, I think that was the first night I was on. So I remember thinking, okay, so maybe there's a bit of leeway and then clearly it's not. But I suppose it depends who's doing it, you know. Yeah, because like you say, if like Larry Dean's on, they're probably not going to music Larry off if he's yeah. doing 10 minutes of new material. Mm-hmm. He's went there. Because people like, if Larry goes... Then audience members say that and they go, oh, that's the guy for live at the Apollo. Mm-hmm. And we've paid three quid to see him. I'm going to come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But mm-hmm. if they're musicing him off and stuff, they'd be a bit like, that's a bit rubbish. My eyesight's really terrible as well. So I need to tell the guy, um, he's got two different types of torches. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you, you need to use the bright one for me, man. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's because I'm on the stage as well. It just makes everything. I've had friends in the front row that I've talked to. And mid joke, I'm like, no way, that's fucking my mate, <laughs> and I've not, I've no realised. <laughs> so uh, anytime I'm like talking to the sound guy, I'm like, you need to give me a proper flash at the back, man. Yeah. So, so I mean, who's listening doesn't know what we're talking about. At, at this, at the, at the stand in Glasgow, they'll come in before it and say, when do you want a torch? And the torch is basically to give you a, an idea that. You, if you're doing a five-minute set, you get the torch four minutes, so you know you've got a minute to wrap up, or it might be a ten-minute set, you'll get it in eight or nine. Did, did you ever make any Steve, uh, any requests for particular times, or did you...? I always do two minutes before. That's my thing. So mm-hmm. if I'm doing ten minutes, I'll do eight, or 20 minutes, I'll do 18. Cause I don't know, it's just always something that I've chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, because usually I don't really have any quick wee jokes. Usually I've got, like, kind of kind of longer stories like maybe like a two minute story so mm-hmm. once I get the flash I'll, I'll say I'll do that last wee story and then I can go off mm-hmm. 
but that's just always been two minutes for me. I don't know if you've got a time, Darren, do you? No, I'm the same. I, if I'm doing 20 minutes, it's 18-minute flash, and then uh, coming up for 20, he gives a, a longer one. Mm-hmm. So you're, how long have you been on the go in uh, stand-up then, Stephen? Um, so I've kind of been going regularly since 2013, I would say. I think I've done maybe my first ever gig at the very end of 2012, but like I never done it for a few months after that. Um and I done yeah, and then two thousand and thirteen I started doing it quite regular. So what what was the kind of speed of the of the acceleration of, of, of your comedy career then? So were you were you from day one gigging as much as possible or do you No, 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 not at all. I was I didn't know where to gig. I didn't know anything. So I thought Red Raw was the only place you could get. Mm-hmm. And at the stand it's like you get one every couple of months. So I had to wait about nine months, first of all, after I'd applied to get my first spot and I'd forgotten all about it. So I got an email from the booker saying, right, you've got a spot next month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I was like, right, I need to write some jokes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I applied again and then maybe like another four months later, I got another spot. And then for four months later, so it was quite slow for me until I spoke to people and went, oh, there's actually pubs you can do this in as well. Mm-hmm. And you can go to different clubs, you don't need to just do the stand. Sure. And and what prompted you to do it? If that's not a silly question, I mean, did you have friends and family saying, mate, you're hilarious, you need to try this? Or did you fancy it yourself? Was it something that was always in the back of your mind? I, I've always loved stand-up. Um, when I was... In high school, a sixth year, I won the funniest boy award at the at the prom. <laughs> at, you know, like you get mm-hmm. daft awards like best arse and all that. And <laughs> I got the funniest boy award, and it, like it sounds daft, but like that was genuinely yeah. a thing for me to go. Oh, maybe I'm quite funny because yeah. I, I was always described as an unconscious comedian. People always went, "Oh, you you're funny, but you don't know it." And but in my he- head, I was like, "No, I, I know that I'm trying to make people laugh." Mm-hmm. I'll just do it in a way where I'm pretending that I'm not. Do you know what I mean? You're, you're also from the, the comedy capital of Scotland as well, Clydebank. Yes. Wait, so you, you, f- five years younger than Kevin Bridges, Mark Jennings as well. So yep. Had, had, so did you know much about Kevin Bridges as a young boy? Or did you? Uh, yeah, before I'd done stand-up, I'd obviously seen him at, uh, on, what was it, Michael McIntyre's mm. Roadshow. That was his first big thing. And the next day in the Clydebank Post, his face was in the front of it. And I thought, oh, this guy's big time, man. <laughs> He's in the Clydebank Post. It's only usually people who are stabbed that get on the front of it. <laughs> so this is, this is class. So, and I saw that and I watched it and it was hilarious. I was like, this guy's amazing. And I remember watching it with like my dad and he'd be going, oh, He's fe- he's fe- just up the road, Hardgate. Um, I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. That's really, that's someone like that from somewhere near where I live can do that and that kind of gave me a wee spark to go maybe I should try it a proper that's proper inspiration isn't it yeah you have somebody from your neck of the woods yeah roughly the same age aye exactly and, and the funniest boy at school as well so you're already halfway aye. there well he never went to my school maybe maybe he would have he would have won that one <laughs> he went to Mark Jennings's school right. you mentioned Mark um, and Mark always says that when he's seen him about I think he was a couple of years older than Mark but he's seen him about in the playground and that and he was always just a laugh 
So I think we've just found out Stephen's a prodi. (laughs) (laughs) I was tiptoeing around that. Which is a very rare thing in Scottish comedy. (laughs) That is actually, yeah. Funny and a prodi. This is something that I love. This is good. Is there there a breakdown, a religious breakdown in the stand-up circuit? Big time, eh? It's usually... Well, I think... Usually it would be people from a disadvantaged background or the who are funnier, do you know what I mean? Like, or someone from like a community who's been repressed because they've got a harsher life outlook on life, I don't know, and they see the funny side of things. So Catholics have obviously had a harder time than prodies. Yeah. My, but I've got, I'm half and half. So my ma's side is Catholic, my dad's side was Protestant and my dad went, ah, he's... Going to a prodi school because <laughs> <laughs> he's never going to win that award if Kevin Bridges is the same school. <laughs> exactly. That's that's fascinating. And, and and so comedy comedy being the the stand up comedy being the kind of preserve of the, the the working class as well is that is that maybe a generalisation? Do you do you think that? I mean, do you find there's more people? Who have had a had a kind of tougher upbringing? I think you pretty much just said that than the kind of private privately educated. Uh, I I think personally I think working class people are funnier than like privately educated but obviously privately educated probably get more opportunities and their dads run media empires and stuff so they can get more stage time more screen time or whatever mm-hmm. but I think the stuff that I like it's, you know it's people like Billy Connolly Kevin Bridges who are from like a working class background and mm-hmm. And tell like their experiences. Yeah. Um, you, you're Springburn, Dan. Springburn, aye. Aye. And did you win any awards at school? Uh, I was in the red group in school. That's, <laughs> <laughs> the fact that I was in school was good enough. An achievement in itself. <laughs> uh, no, any awards for me, but yes, I was Springburn. So we've done it. So we've done the religious split. Catholics are funnier than Protestants. So yeah, that's fine. That's going to totally fly online. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think that is a thing, though. Like you don't really hear a lot of about a lot of Protestant comedians, do you? You don't hear a lot of loyalist comedy. I'm starting to bring it into uh, circulation. No, don't I, worry. I, I remember years ago, actually, <laughs> very, the first time I, I ever went to the stand just to watch years and years ago. There's a boy from Northern Ireland as well. I can't remember his name. But he was very funny, and uh, he was talking about how that when it came to the the murals in the the various communities, the Catholic murals were always far far better. The artwork was far yeah. better than the ones in the loyalist areas. Yeah. He says, cause he remember him saying, I'm, I'm no historian, but I don't remember King Billy being bigger than his fucking horse. <laughs> 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 I done a gig at, um, see when I was an open spot, you do gigs anywhere. I done a gig at, um, uh, an orange hall in Falkirk years ago and uh, they put me as a closer for some reason I only done 30 gigs they were like can you go up in day 40 minutes <laughs> we'll give you a bottle of vodka and you get 30 quid I'm like uh, aye but I was like you can't say my name's Cono uh, say it's like McGregor or something <laughs> or something McGinty or, I was just shiting it and uh, they said it was Cono and it was alright I know, I know we were um, 
uh, having a laugh at that, about that, but I've never had any problems or grief, and it was a good gig. Aye, uh, aye, the Masonic lads are some bunch actually. Yeah, <laughs> good bunch of lads. <laughs> are there any 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 gigs that you really dread? I know that in, in the comedy circuit they talk about like Christmas gigs, for example. Yeah, Christmas nights out are horrific. You, you, you know they can be they can be pretty bad. But anything specifically that you're maybe asked to go somewhere? Anything? Oh no, I hate corporate gigs. I think that's quite a, a general thing that comedians do t- say that, but for some reason that uh, I just get such a just the fear before going on. Like I'm wearing a suit and there's people mad marketing people who are just there to eat an expensive dinner and network, and yeah. then I'm talking about fajita kits in front yeah. of them. <laughs> yeah, so it's people that are not specifically seeking out a comedy gig. Yeah, they're just going to. A, a, a lunch or a dinner exactly. and a comedian happens to be on happens to be there and then Aye. hand out some stupid awards not, not not as good as the funniest boy award obviously <laughs> it's like <laughs> some sort of marketing awards or whatever um, I hate those types of gigs yeah and have you done many of them? Uh, I step aside from Christmas gigs um, thankfully I, I think I've got an option I do panto instead oh yeah how's that? I mean you say it's just as harsh, really. Is it? You're like, oh, I'm stepping away for the corporate nights of uh, coke fueled work night outs at Christmas when people are screaming that you're a fat bastard and stuff. <laughs> and then I go and do a panto and it's just like three-year-old kids saying I'm a fat bastard <laughs> instead. So. Well, that's such as, such as life in Glasgow. <laughs> so, uh, pantos, I mean, it's not... Christmas gigs are horrible because essentially you're getting paid well to die in your arse. Yeah. It doesn't matter who you are. Danger money. Aye. It yeah. doesn't matter who you are. You're going to die in your arse. Nobody yeah. cares about comedy. Mm. But uh, Panto's just relentless as in, you know, you you need to be 100%. I feel like stand-up, for me anyway, I can turn up with a black t-shirt and a pair of jeans, but Panto, you need to be shaved every day. Makeup on your face every single day, man, and mm. it's smiling just... tits and teeth. Aye, it's like you're a human cartoon for six weeks. Aye. So it does, that that does sound like a like a proper shift, and 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 is it six weeks generally? Is that the kind of length of time? We some some get longer, but I think it's like four to six weeks. Mm-hmm. So it's good to get away for the Christmas gigs because I'm quite. Um, fragile If I die in Mars uh, <laughs> If there's a run of gigs When I'm dying in Mars I'm like Right I'm out <laughs> yeah. I'm the same as well Though I've I get I've got such a Thin skin for being a, Because everyone's like Oh you must have a thick skin If you're a comedian And I think at the start I did But the years have worn me down And if I have One person Like no paying attention In the audience I'm like I'm fucking shite Now yeah. I need to quit this <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, out loud, do you say that? Uh, the mic? I, I scream <laughs> at, at the person who's on their phone. I'm like, I'm fucking shaking. <laughs> did, the, did the panto stuff was, was the Bobby character from Scott Squad? Did that lead towards panto? Did it? I think so. Yes, I, I think um, doing Bobby got me, got me that. Um, there was a guy. His name's Robert. He's a producer, and it was through Tom Tom Yuri, mm-hmm. and. Tom was like, this guy loves Scott Squad and he'd love to like, meet you and have a chat. And essentially it was um, uh, an addition, but it was me and Karen went up, Officer Karen. It was weird, it was like half interview, half addition. And I turned up and I've never done a 
that type of an addition before in my life. So I was really nervous. I had a coffee. I was shaking and stuff. And I think I was quite lucky that he was he was able to see through that and he gave us a chance. And see, when I did start off, I was like, it was so hard. Um, rehearsals were hard. See, rehearsing in front of like real trained actors and stuff. Because when you do stand up, you expect a response or a laugh, but mm. you're rehearsing to silence. Yeah, yeah. So just straight away, you're like, "Is this funny? I'm shite, and I'm dyslexic as well." So see, when you're trying to read a script, and I'm like, "God, man, I've been found out." And mm. the first pant I did, it was probably right up until the first show. As soon as I got in front of a crowd, I was okay. But that five weeks of rehearsing, I was like yeah this is shit to the point I thought I was going to get sacked but um, nobody actually said that to me I just felt that <laughs> but uh, when, when you were on stage and the, the first reaction that was that was that must have been some buzz as soon as I got on a stage in front of a crowd there was a couple of um, you know James McKenzie the guy that does uh, Raven oh yes I uh -huh. he, he said to me he was like, oh, God, you were, as a friend, he said that he was like, you were really struggling during that full, I could see you internally beat yourself up. And then as soon as I got in front of a crowd, I was like, it was almost like I could relax. Mm -hmm. I was like, thank <laughs> God. Uh, I, I don't want you to give us too many panto secrets away, but it always fascinates me. The things that, that, that look as though they're, you know, no meant are completely meant, or is, or is that a myth? It's just the same as a gig, really. I mean, I... I got it because of Bobby and Scott Squad's improv. Mm -hmm. So um, they would give you a script. You need to learn the script. But they would say, look, if you feel like there's a chance to run away and do your own thing for a couple of minutes, you can do that. But just bring it back to what it was in the script. Mm -hmm. So you've got breathing space to do yeah. whatever you know, stick to the script as yeah, well. Yeah. So every single night would be different. If I get heckled, I invite heckles and stuff, or I would slag people in the front row. So all these kind of things that seem improvised on stage when you're doing panto, it's improvised. And then, you know, because you're doing two shows a day for six weeks, sometimes you can just get brain fog and you'll forget stuff on stage. So then, you know, cast members start giggling and stuff and you'll start corpsing and... Um, is that encouraged to let corpse in? Because I, I like, I enjoy watching people corpse. Oh, but... Panto is, uh, Panto's amazing for that. Aye. Because, like, for somebody that's a kind of wacky character, I never corpsed doing Panto. And then I did a Panto with Scott. Oh, God, man. I'm having a brain fart here. <laughs> Scott, you know, for River City. Fletcher. Fletcher. Scott Aye. Fletcher. So I, I was like saying to him, I don't corpse on stage, I don't laugh. Like I just, I make other people laugh and stuff. I was getting quite boastful about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I went on the stage with him and he, he made me crack. And he made me crack to the point that I couldn't pull it back. I was just like crying with laughter. But the the audience love it, man. They, they love it because it's just Christmas fun, isn't it? Yeah, totally. uh, it's a peek behind the curtain as well. It's like, oh, these people are clearly enjoying it I, and... That's quite infectious as Aye. well when you see people enjoying Pat it. It's like why amazing. people love bloopers at the end of films, not yeah. serious films, obviously. And I suppose a panto as well as a lot of kids. So is, did you find it tricky not dropping the old F-bomb and C-bomb? I got scared of that because yeah. my stand-up's quite dark. Yeah. So straight away I was like, 
I really hope I don't sweat. I uh, swear. <laughs> I'm sweating, definitely. <laughs> definitely sweating. Uh, but you just get used to it. And it's a really beautiful experience because I was like, I don't know if you've had this, but when I started, I was like, you know, Richard Pryor's my hero, Frankie Boyle. I kind of, when I was younger, looked at Panto thinking, oh, I'll never do a Panto. That's kind of sellout. And, you know, I was in the wrong for thinking that because, see, when you do it, you get to meet people that can't afford tickets. Like me, I couldn't afford to go to Panto when I was younger. Right. So you're getting a lot of people that are getting free tickets and then you get to meet them. Disabled kids as well, just things that you would never think of as an actor. So you're getting to meet all these amazing kids and families and stuff. It's like proper good for the soul, but mm, I'm kind of yeah. lost up in my own wee self-employed world of thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that. And now I'm hooked. Yeah. And the only reason I won't do a panto is if uh, I don't get asked because I intend to do it for the time being. That's great. Aye. You I'd should do a proddy panto. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be, be very funny though. Aye, just you by yourself in the music. Just hatred on right. the stage. Aye. Complete just darkness. Like, just a little <laughs> Deliver a, deliver a very cold sermon to the young children. <laughs> um, so, Steve, Stephen, if you if you were if you're asked to give advice to somebody who's who's thinking of taking up stand up, um, well, what would it be? Um, I just get yeah, a bash, I suppose. It's just the thing is, like people overthink it. Like I, when I first went to do my first gig. I remember walking to the stand going, oh, I could step out in front of this car, get clipped, and then I wouldn't need to do the gig. That's how much I was panicking in my own head that this is the biggest deal ever, what happens if people don't laugh and all that. And to be honest, no one gives a fuck. <laughs> no one actually cares. If you're doing five minutes at, at, on a Tuesday at the stand and you die in your arse, they will only remember it next week. Do you yeah. know what I mean? If you do well, they go, oh, that wee guy was quite good. Or, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's not, it's not going to change your world. So mm-hmm. just don't overthink it. Just go out and, and have fun, I would say. And as far as the as far as far working hard as well, and the, the, the so if you're going to look at the kind of, the nuts and bolts of writing a set, the best way to, to perfect that set, obviously, is to do it over and over and over again. So it yeah. becomes, you know, Yeah, definitely. Nature. I think... That's also a thing. When I done my first like three gigs, I done three different sets, three different five minute sets, which I don't think is a good way to do it. I think have five minutes of stuff that you want to talk about, and then keep rewriting it and learning what gets a laugh and what doesn't. Take the bits out that don't get a laugh, and just hone that five minutes until that's a great five minutes. It's always going to work. Then working your next five minutes to get a ten. I was just doing stories about going to Lady Gaga themed parties and then it would some it would get a laugh and some it would and then the next set was about me it, I don't know, it, you know what I mean like just completely different stuff and it just it took me a while to get 5 minutes that would work you tap into your real life your own, your own experiences as well and taking a refugee in for example which yes. is I mean that that was a kind of a staple part of your routine yeah that's the routine that uh, I won the BBC New Comedy Award with um, and it was my mum is a social worker she took in a refugee and I'm I'm still living with my mum so it was kind of my experiences of 
living with my mum and with the refugee. That's disappointing. I, th- I thought you you decided one day I'm going to try and win a comedy award, so I'm going to go and bring a refugee in, <laughs> <laughs> use him as an experiment. No, I, it, I know exactly what you mean. But, it, but. it was actually before <laughs> it, before we took. So we, she's part of this um, incentive called supported lodgings. So it's like people who have been in homes and care that she's taken in. So we've taken in other people before him. Uh, you know, just a, like a just wee guys from Scotland as well. So, and it, I started trying to talk about that at first, and people were just a bit confused by it. But for some reason, when I started talking about taking in a refugee, people were more susceptible. To, mm-hmm. Oh, that's that must be a thing rather than oh, you just took a wee guy for Clyde Banking, a, a lodger, a lodger. I people thought it was like a lodger, like like the only thing I'd ever heard about lodgers was like. Uh, Coronation Street that guy called Spider years ago <laughs> and that's just what bank people think it's just a mad sort of drifter that he's taken but it's like a wee guy who needs a home Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands plus Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And what's, what's, his, what's his story since? Is, uh, do you, are you still in t- touch with him or...? Aye, he's uh, he's doing well. He's living in Dundee now. He's got his own place. I'm still living with my ma, so he's doing better than me. <laughs> <laughs> and did he? Has he watched the routine? Has he seen you? Uh, aye, aye, he's watched that. I had a um, my Radio Four special, uh, and he listened to that. And I don't think I don't know because our sense of humour to in like Vietnamese sense of humour is different. They like more slapstick t- sort of stuff. So when he was watching like my stuff, he was just smiling, but he's not laughing at anything. <laughs> he's just waiting for you to hit somebody over the head with a frying pan. Aye, so he he's like thinking, why are pe- why do people think this is funny? <laughs> do you know what I mean? But confused by it. But like if you know, I, I slipped in a banana peel, he'd be going, ah, "This guy's class." <laughs> <laughs> The wonderful winter sale is now on at Harry Corey. Harry Corey. Prices are falling in every department. Duvet sets from only £7.50, pillows from only £6, and lined eyelet curtains from just £12.50. The Harry Corey winter sale now on. Call in store or online at harrycorey.com while these wonderful offers last. Harry Corey. The curtain bedding specialists. Darren, I was going to talk about about heckling or, or dealing with difficult customers as well. Have you had any kind of experiences over the years where somebody's just gone out their way to no enjoy it or somebody you've had a run in with? Well, when I do stand up, I, I invite heckles and I quite enjoy it. 
mm. I like making the the audience part of my set and stuff, and I I think a lot of it's got to do with the improv side of Scott Squad. So, um, if somebody wants to be part of the show, ah, I'm all right with that. I do have a problem with people just talking through it though, like. Because I think you can get heckles that are good, but when somebody's just sitting on their phone or just talking to their pal during it, then it disrupts the show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I'm very lucky that I've never really experienced it. I think um, once during my Glasgow comedy show a couple of years ago, um, there was this guy in the front row and I flat out just stopped the show and I was just like, mate, shut the fuck up. You're ruining the show. <laughs> and I kind of, he was with someone that I kind of knew. And the guy's name was Michael, and I was like, ah, Michael, you need to get him to fuck out the stand. <laughs> He's ruining the show. Everybody cheered, and everybody kind of was on my side. And I just flat out said, I was like, you need to shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> Do you think anybody in there thought it was a part of the, the routine? No, because he was annoying. He was annoying. Every single punchline, every single thing I said, he was dropping in and kind of chipping in my shit. And he was just like, out his nut. And he was like really rude and he was just, but that was the first, the only time that I've experienced that and I've, I dealt with it well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've been lucky. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, see when you're in the stand or places and somebody pulls their phone out, the bar staff go over. Yeah, they're very, very yeah. strict with it there. But I suppose in places that are maybe just traditional pubs or whatever, they don't have the same kind of policies and so yeah. on. They might be more likely to have someone doing that. You know? Yeah. Like that, that fajita night? Yeah, so we were talking before we came here. We we're talking about gigs we'd done together, and we've not actually done loads of gigs together. I done your support at the stand one night. I don't know if it was that night that that guy was in, was it? No, no, right. But the first ever gig we'd done was it was awful. It was in Hamilton, and uh, <laughs> like it wasn't even a stage. It was like a floor. It was the dance floor, and there was people sitting around the outside. And then I can't remind who was on, but something during it, a waitress just brought sizzling fajitas right through the middle of the, the stage over to a table. It was a guy's 90th birthday or something, wasn't it? Aye. <laughs> and it's just like hunters of smoke and <laughs> si- the loudest sizzling fajitas you could ever think right through this guy whilst he's trying to tell jokes. Oh, no. Um, yeah, which, as- which would be fine if, if he was able to use it and make capital out of it, but if, if he wasn't expecting it, uh, it might be kind of tricky. And yeah. in the bathroom as well, see if you were to go in for a pee, the light wasn't working. So <laughs> somebody that works in the pub just decided to put a lamp in the toilet. <laughs> it was plugged into the wall and this like living room lamp was in the middle of the bathroom. <laughs> just mental. Yeah. Absolutely mental. <laughs> <laughs> that was an awful gig. But uh, that was the first time we'd gigged together, I think. Aye. I'd done your support at the stand and I, I was like the hu- most hungover I've ever been in my life. And I was... At like four in the morning at some gaff sent to one of our mates CMB going tell Darren I can't do his gig I'm too fucked <laughs> <laughs> um, that was another horrific gig he turned up hung over and I get dumped <laughs> just as I was going to walk on stage so she was like in the gig and she's like I can't do this anymore fuck off and I was like but I love you welcome to the stage Darren Connell <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so he went up struggled because you were burst Aye, and I then was so bad. I went up and I was just pure hello hello <laughs> Oh, that's the that nightmare. Any prodies in? <laughs> 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 me, me. <laughs> Sorry about that, mate. No, that's, you know, that's all right. <laughs> so what else have we established at uh, Catholics and Protestants? What about men and women? 
Do we go down that road? Well, in terms of in terms of the divide in the Scottish comedy scene, there's far, 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 far more men, obviously, as we know. What's what's the reason for that? Do you think? Um, I would say that guys in general are just more egotistical to go. Oh, I'm, I think I'm funny, so I'm going to do stand up, uh, and I don't think um, women have that sort of. Urge to do it straight away So maybe that's got something to do with The gap I think there's there's great female comedians yeah. On the circuit just now Susie McCabe, Jay Lafferty Great ones coming up Amy Matthews, Crystal Evans um, So there's loads of like really good Talented female comedians But uh, there is a lot less than And maybe I don't know if we just I, I, We were talking about this circuit As a bit toxic and that might put off yeah. People to begin with, but you mentioned the, the the comedy forum, and there's thousands of names on that. I yeah, mean, there's clearly not that many comedians in Scotland. No, that's you know? casualties from over the years. I think that yeah. are just still there. Mm-hmm. Elephants graveyard. Yeah, uh, broken souls. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I hardly I've commented on that like once or twice, but I'm just one of the lurkers in the background. <laughs> yeah, watching all the madness watching, unfold. Watching everything, everything unfold. Yeah. So if if you could go back to Dan, if you could go back to your own sort of 18 year old self starting out is there anything you would kind of say oh don't do that but do it differently there's no major regrets that I have I'm quite similar to Stephen I I never knew that um, I just didn't know things like I never knew that you could gig outside the stand and I went into my first gig all prepared but then everyone struggles in their first gig so you can't be too harsh on yourself but um, I'm happy with with my journey um, I probably regret not travelling down to England as much, but I pay the bills, so <laughs> fuck it. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. happy. Mm-hmm. I make people laugh. I still enjoy it. Um, I think I'm still young. Thirty four is young, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, you certainly are. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there's no, uh, there's no major regrets or things that I would um, do differently. I think people can take it too seriously. At the end of the day, the way I look at it is people work hard all day, they come to a comedy club for a laugh, Mm -hmm. don't get lost in your own head trying Mm -hmm. to think about that. If you've got five minutes, go up and just live in in that moment because it's such a rare thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I think like we can get lost in the politics of it, but Mm -hmm. when it just boils down to making people laugh, I think it can be an amazing thing. Aye, because you do sometimes get the fear when you before you go on, and you're like, and you're in your own head, and you're thinking because you're just you're thinking about yourself. You're like, oh well, this this audience is a barrier to my happiness because I want to make them laugh, but they might not laugh at me. But they're not there to be dicks. They're mm-hmm. there to have a good night. So mm-hmm. once you realise that. You probably relax more, and when you're relaxed, then you're going to be better on stage. Can you remember, Stephen, the the, the first laugh you got as a, a in your very first gig and what the what the line was? My first ever joke was um, it was pish. It was about uh, oh, he's talking it up here. <laughs> <laughs> it was something like oh, I get called a bit of. Someone recently called me a bit of a fox because she caught me eating out of her bins, and uh, and I thought it was good, and and it got a laugh, and and that relaxed me. But then, like the feedback after <laughs> from from the stand was, 
oh, his first joke was stolen from another comedian. And I was like, what? Who? Who is it? And, it's just, and it was like Mikey Adams. But I'd never gigged. It was my first ever gig, so I'd obviously never gigged with him. And it's just a joke that you can arrive to that conclusion quite easily. So it's just a case of it's a similar yeah. joke to someone else. But, yeah. yeah. Um, Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Different routes to a similar kind of ending of a joke or Aye. whatever, you know. Accent because because you know plagiarism—that's obviously a big one, isn't it? That's something Aye. that's clearly not encouraged. Yeah. But the feedback emails—that's quite good, isn't it? Yeah. For someone who's starting out, definitely. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> don't come back. Kind of thing. <laughs> the, f- uh, the feedback wasn't because uh, in my head the gig was was really good because it was my first ever gig. I had no comparison of what a good gig would be, but. When I got that line, that it kind of crushed me a wee bit. I was like, "Oh, they, yeah. they must think I'm a mad joke thief." And that, and they said the rest of the set was good, uh, but it was I that made me just question things a wee bit. Cause like, oh, I hope people don't think I, I'm this mad joke thief. And you can tell when someone's stolen a joke because it's going to be a specific, a very specific thing. That's mm. quite a broad joke that yeah. anyone could make. Yeah. If someone, if Darren went up and started saying that he's got a Vietnamese refugee living in his house, then I'd go, <laughs> he's probably bumped that from, from me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Aye. Or if I went up and started doing like impressions of baby mermaids and stuff. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I, I do in my fledgling career, I do a wee routine about being a war correspondent and been getting shot in Kosovo and yeah. been in Iraq and getting, coming under motor attack. And that stuff did happen. Yeah. You know, but again, if somebody was to start saying that at the stand, they'd be like, hang, hang on a minute. Uh, you'd realise <laughs> straight away. Yeah, I have somebody. seen comedians take people's. It's hard to describe. It's like persona. I've, yeah, like so. I've watched a Scottish comedian before, and I'm like, he kind of sounds like Des Clark. Aye. He doesn't. He's not taking his jokes, but he's taking his movements. Yeah, and I've seen that with a couple of comedians that are bad people. By the way, none of them are good people. It happens a lot, and you find where we uh, sort of English open spots sound like James Acaster. A lot of them just do a rip off of James Acaster, um, and you can tell when it's someone with a distinctive voice, like Bridges or James Acaster, Frankie Boyle, even yeah. if you're going up to. That's a mistake that a lot of people make to go up with dark one-liners or dark wee jokes and think, oh well, Frankie Boyle does it, I can do it. And it's like he's he's yeah. done it for years yeah. and he's mastered it. I was watching some of your online content the other night. You, you were um, paying tribute to Norm Macdonald. Who 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 are your big, you know? comedy heroes then looking back that you would so number one would stand up comedian wise is Norm Macdonald definitely when I was younger I get raised with American comedy so it was like John Candy Chris Farley and but British comedy was definitely Vic and Bob mm-hmm. um, Shooting Stars um, you know, I loved all that yeah. type of stuff. That's fantastic. That's, uh, interesting you say that, Vic and Bob, because I mean, they're classic Marmite, aren't they? I mean, I absolutely love them, but I've got, you know, colleagues and friends who just did not get it whatsoever. Yeah. I think as they've got older, they're past it a wee bit, but because I love them so much, um, you still love them. You're still... Yeah. But uh, at, at the height of the 90s, when they were doing Shooting Stars, they were just incredible. And before I understood what comedy was, I just I was f- fascinated with the oddness of them. Because we're saying, like, working class. I think Bob was a... He was a lawyer. And I was think it, Vic, yeah. Vic's quite an intelligent guy as well. Aye. But they were so um, strange. Aye. Well, that's one thing that if you are, like, a... 
middle class person or whatever, you don't really have those experiences to draw on. So then you'll get more whimsical or odd sort of creations, which can be brilliant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, th- I guess if that makes sense, because they're a bit more yeah. weird. Can, but, you, can you think of the likes of Norman Donald, a joke or a routine from you know from the past that you just always has you doubled over when you think about it? So I hope I hope I don't absolutely destroy this, but he had a comedian <laughs> on his show once, and he was like, um, "When nine eleven happened, I crawled through blood, <laughs> sweat, and bones to try and find my brother. It turns out he was in Canada." <laughs> 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 I think you did alright with that yeah. I bastardised that a wee bit But Aye, I think you get the I think you'll be looking, looking down and very yeah. proud of you For the way yes. you delivered that um, So aye The guy was a genius I think yeah. he, He's the type of guy that you watch And you forget that you're a stand up comedian I just enjoy it Yeah You know I saw, yeah, I saw him on in, in YouTube spinning the moth joke out to last about 12 minutes or something, you know, because that Aye. joke can last 20 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Aye. Yeah, definitely. But I think that's the beauty of it. The longer it goes on, the f- the more ridiculous yeah. it gets and the better the punchline. Um, actually, that's a point because somebody, somebody pulled me up because during the episode one, I think it was, Fred referred to the funniest joke ever but didn't actually tell it. So I'm going to have to, before this season is finished, it was the one of the £20 note. I'm going to try. So basically, um, I don't know who I don't know whose joke this is, who it belongs to. I, I, I saw it been told in an old clip by a guy called Clement Freud. And basically the joke is that this bloke, his wife, tells him to stop coming in drunk. And if he comes in drunk, next time it happens, she's going to divorce him. So he's like, all right, okay. So he's out with his, uh, he's out with his pal. He gets absolutely steaming, throws up all over his shirt. And he says to his mate, this is a nightmare. I go home like this. I'm divorced. So his mate says, I've got an idea. Here's, take a £20 note, stick it in your jacket, right? And then when she says, what happened? You say, someone threw up on me, but gave me 20 quid to get my shirt dry cleaned. So it's a great idea. So anyway, he goes home. And his missus is like, what's happened to you? Oh, it wasn't me. Somebody threw up all over my shirt. I don't believe you. Well, Look, he gave me this 20 quid to get my shirt dry clean. Then she went, give me that jacket. She, she gets the jacket, goes in the other pocket and pulls another 20 pound. <laughs> so who gave you that? Oh, that was from the guy who shat in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> I totally destroyed that there. That's, That's a general gist there. Aye. But the, um, because we were talking about the moth joke. Do you know the, do you know what the, the yeah, moth joke? Yeah. Do you fancy... A bash out. See if you do I better. I can't do it. There's no way I can go against Norm Macdonald. I'm nah, not that daft. I couldn't um, do it. My dad I told me a belter joke the other night, though. We'll go in it. I might ruin this. But two guys are playing golf, and one guy pulls at a golf ball and he does that. This is the best golf ball ever invented. You can't lose it. You can't break it. You can see it for miles away. If it falls in the pond, it will race to the top. And he's like, where did you buy that? And he's like, I found it. (laughs) (laughs) My dad said it better. (laughs) Uh, It's just in case someone's listening to it and they're thinking, what's the moth joke? You can hear it in in episode one. Um, Because it was episode two. I think Raymond tells it. Episode two, Raymond Mern tells it. But anyway, the moth joke is, this is a very, very short, short version of it. A guy walks into the... 
the dentist and says, you need to help me, mate. I, I think I've turned into a moth. And the, the dentist says, oh, I think it's a psychiatrist. You need no a dentist. Why don't you come in here? So your light was on. <laughs> <Hi>. <laughs> that was a beautiful thing about Norm Macdonald because he took a lot of old school 1930s jokes and he just made them into his own thing. Yeah. So it was like a lot of my, my wife left me stuff yeah. and... Um, all that type of stuff but he made it he went but, on and did a roast uh, the Bob Saget roast that's right and it was yeah. his best mate and he's like yeah. I, I'm not that type of comedian that would slag my mate so he went up and it was just he just did, did these the put lamest, downs the I, lamest put downs was it from a book it was from like a yeah it was like aye it was like literally comedy for dummies or aye. something <laughs> it's like, and he just went up and he stormed it yeah exactly like the lamest jokes from this old joke book to say but like he smashed it because everyone's like usually at these roasts it's like really cutting really, brutal. really going yeah. for the jugular yeah. and he's just in these nice wee gentle jokes it's a nice yeah. change what, of pace what about you have you, you any kind of um Inspirations that you know, common inspirations who you looked up to from before. Uh, we obviously spoke about when I saw like Kevin Bridges at first, but um, in recent years, John Mulaney mm -hmm. is one of my biggest uh, influences. American comedian, um, I just love all of his stuff. He's got these sort of quite observational and, and can be quite broad observations, but he's got a nice way that he does it. It's quite offbeat, sort of weird guy and he's mm -hmm. just so funny um rory scoville mm -hmm. as well who's incredible i don't know if you've seen much uh i've not seen rory so good man you'd love him he's like quite a weird it's quite odd guy as well but uh he's just like an improv genius he his latest special was him doing seven days in a row where he just didn't have any like prep and he just went each night he just went up and it's like a documentary as well so it talks about this old theatre which is it's really interesting yeah. but um and he, he got to the point where he was like i don't even want to have ideas about what i'm going to talk about on stage i don't want so i'm avoiding all news and that and i'm just right. going to go out and do just crowd work and just whatever's in the moment and he does these weird characters and stuff and amazing yeah uh, i think you'd like it i'll check him out uh, but his special on Netflix is called Rory Scovel Does Stand Up For The First Time oh, right. and it's it's brilliant Excellent, I'm going to keep an eye out for that You, you um, Darren, did, you took a bit of a break from stage, well everybody did I suppose, did during, the, during the pandemic but you really started to focus on your online content quite a bit Yeah Are you, are you, are you ready to get right back into the, the stand up or are you Yes, I've started back gigging. I've done a couple of gigs already. Um, the first week of January I was gigging, doing new material nights. I'm in the process of speaking to my agent about trying to do some solo shows. Um, taking lockdown and COVID and all these restrictions into account, I'm mm -hmm. just, you know, I'm not going to be devastated if I can't, you know, I'll get shows yeah. sorted, but it might not be what it was before. Because sure. I had a a mini Scottish tour planned and then uh, COVID hit. Yeah. So just getting back into the swing of things, I never realised that I was going to do a podcast. That mm -hmm. that was a spur of the moment sure. thing. And what, what and just t tell us what you know what it's called and what where people can find it and whatever. So it's called Straight White Whale. <laughs> I really regret calling it that man. But we know why you called it that yes. because yeah, because all this straight white males. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, like me. it's kind of slagging everybody into it because it is true. Um, so you can get it on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts. You can add me on Facebook, Darren Connell, Twitter, Darren Connell. I've done a, 11 episodes and it's just me by myself with my producer behind the camera. We kind of feed off each other. I leave it open for improv. We wing a lot of stuff and it's gone all right. Um, I enjoy it. I did a yeah. podcast before, but there was too many, what's it, too many chefs spoil the broth. Uh, did you have guests and stuff on? Yeah, and it kind of got forced and the people behind the scenes were booking guests without asking me and stuff. And, right. You know, I'd rather just do my own thing. So I'm glad that I'm back. It seems to be going well. I'm enjoying it. And I'm just trying to get the match fitness back. Good. I said to Stephen before, I feel like, see, when George Foreman made a comeback and he was just fat as fuck, and <laughs> he was kind of good, but he was. Was he not about fifty-five or something? I, like I kind of feel like that. Like I'm doing enough to to fight, but I, I shouldn't do it. So what's the comedy, comedy equivalent of going to the gym for an hour and hitting the skipping ropes and all that? Just uh, just gigging every do, night for doing yeah. wee daft gigs or something. Yeah, just gig as much as you can. Take it, take, especially. When when I'm in your when I was in your position, literally just take any gig that yeah. you get offered. Aye, I, I'm so I'm, I'm at the kind of start of this this. I, I'm I'm basically going to try and spend between now and, and, and August, hopefully, to perfect five minutes. Just re, just make it absolutely perfect. Yeah, yeah. So I'm starting to kind of Stephen said that very well. Just get your five minutes, perfect your five minutes, and then it it will naturally grow into something else. Yeah. Because yeah. I did what he did as well. I did a new five minutes for my first ten gigs, yeah. and I was shite. <laughs> and funnily enough, Mikey Adams pulled me aside and said. Just do your five minutes, get used to being on a stage, get used to being in front of a crowd, mm-hmm. holding a mic, mm-hmm. you know, all these things that you need to take into yeah. account. And then see when you get to a stage when you're like, ah, I should be doing more than five minutes. Uh, it, it just naturally happens. Yeah, it, yeah. Everything still, just falls into place. You're still getting those wee ideas and yeah. you're scribbling them down and you think, right, that's that's 30 seconds there that can bow on at some point. Uh, but, but your idea of having five and then another specific five, so you, you can do a five or a ten. Yeah. And there's a cut-off point. Yeah, and sometimes it doesn't even work as, like you say, it can develop into something else because it doesn't need to just be this is a five and this is a five. Some of the five, might you might go, oh, I've got extra tags for that or I've got extra things I want to talk about in that specific five. So you could make that a ten itself and make it longer or shorter, whatever you need. But uh, the way I did it was getting a perfect five and then another good five and merging them together. Um, where, where can where can people hear you, um, Stephen? Pl- um, plug yourself away to your heart's content. I've also got a podcast. Excellent. Uh, like everyone these days, <laughs> uh, I've got a podcast with a comedian called Stuart McPherson, who works on Scott Squad with Darren. And we basically the concept is we try and guess the plots of films we've never seen. Um, All right. Okay. So. A lot of people get used mixed up, don't they? Aye, and the and the comedy circuit, we, I don't think we look that similar, do you? No, really, but I've mixed you up before, haven't I? Aye, I it happens all the time. Eyesight as well. I think you had to correct me one night. You're like, I'm Stephen, I'm not Stuart. I was like, I'm sorry, mate. <laughs> it happens so, all the time. Like, I've got introduced as Stuart Buchanan, Stephen McPherson. It's well, 
there's a there's a there's a journalist called Stephen Houston. I hope he's listening. But uh, <laughs> aye, if I had a pound for every time I'm going to call Stephen. Aye, yeah, yeah, it happens all the time. Maybe an S thing, possibly. I don't know. Aye, uh, maybe. But to the point where we'd done a gig together, we got pictures taken by this comedian, uh, Stu Who, and he tagged us in the wrong pictures, so we just <laughs> used, each of us put that as our profile pictures, like the wrong ones, and we're getting comments going, oh, looking good and all that. It's like, how does no one know, know the difference between us? <laughs> like, my ma going, oh, looking good, Stevens. Like, that's fucking Stuart. Right? Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm the guy you live with. Uh, you've never met that guy. <laughs> Um, and then, so so Scott Scott's really talked about very much, but is there, is there more in the pipeline, or what, what's the latest with that? Because uh, Sc- a season just out, aye. Yeah, there's a season out just now, season seven. I decided to step back from that one. Um, just a just a lot of things. I know I was, uh, you know, having a laugh about not being match fit, but I decided to take a break from stand up comedy because I didn't want to make anybody laugh during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. I had some um, elder family members that were struggling and stuff, so I just decided to look after them take a break and then I get offered Scott Squad and I felt like I didn't want to be disrespectful towards the the circuit mm-hmm. because I was, I was saying to Stephen I got offered I've never done a gig in nearly two years and I get offered a support slot for Bridges mm-hmm. and inside my, my mind I'm like you know that's good money but I just feel like you need to respect the circuit. Like, I'm running the risk of going on stage for after so long. There's probably a high risk of me dying on my arse. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be people in that audience that have never been to a live crowd before, mm-hmm. a live gig mm-hmm. before. So I know if I went to a live gig and I watched a comedian die on his arse, I would probably never go back. Mm-hmm. So I have to take or, Well some folk might go back for the sheer hell of it Yeah <laughs> So I did feel like I love being Bobby I love Scott Squad It's changed my life But I don't want to walk onto a set When I don't feel 100% So I've loved the break um, I'm glad that I'm back And if Scott Squad comes back I'm going to 100% do it But I felt like just out of respect For my Scott Squad uh, family um, I just decided not to do it because I didn't feel I didn't feel sharp. Yeah. Plus the money shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's the main reason. <laughs> Pay me more, you bastards. <laughs> Give us a spin off on all you fucking rat bastards. <laughs> if, there, if there is a Bobby spin off, you know we can uh, we can talk about it in the, another episode. There should be. There absolutely should. There be. should be. Eh? No comment. There should be hundred percent. Um, well, I'm, I'll, I'll keep in touch with you all and I'll tell you how my journey goes and, and whatever. And I would absolutely take that advice on board, Stephen. I kind of, uh, my, 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 my kind of worry was, uh, you know, when I did the same five minutes two or three times and my, maybe my pals and my family were there, I would be thinking, oh, they must be saying, not this same crap again. Aye. You know? You so, run the risk of that, but the audience, you kind of think about them. You have to think about the audience and the wider and, audience. And assuming that they, they are new and they've never heard it before, it's the first time they're watching you. Yeah. And, and that that's, yeah, that, that kind of. The only way to get better, I think, instead of. And obviously everyone's different. People are really good at doing like improv and stuff like that, and uh, so they, that's going to be different every yeah, time. But of course, um, yeah, if you're doing, uh, you know, every, but also everyone needs to fucking find what works for them. Like, there's no set way of doing something. If you've got a certain way that you think works, go for that. Go for it. Who am I to say yeah. fucking? 
you know, write jokes about a wee fox eating it at a bin. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Steal jokes, right? That's what you should do. Steal Aye. people's jokes. I was going to do, I'll go and do that. I'll go and, uh, <laughs> listen, guys, um, that's, that's been brilliant, really. And thanks very much for coming on. I hope it's been a good laugh. It's been Aye. enjoyed picking your brains and hearing your own particular. Aye, your own roots into comedy. And best of luck with the future. And Thank you very much. Watching you both soon. So Thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers. Take care, mate. Thanks. Bye-bye. The wonderful winter sale is now on at Harry Corey. Harry Corey. Prices are falling in every department. Duvet sets from only £7.50. Pillows from only £6. And lined eyelet curtains from just £12.50. The Harry Corey winter sale now on. Call in store or online at harrycorey.com while these wonderful offers last. Harry Corey. The curtain bedding specialists.